Hello, my friends. As you may know, if you've been a longtime listener of 3 and 30, I usually publish new episodes on Mondays, but I'm here with an unexpected Thursday episode this week because today is an important day for me, and I really wanted to acknowledge it and share some of my heart as I process through it. I hope to start sharing more personal insights and updates in periodic bonus episodes like this, so make sure you are actually subscribed to or following the podcast, because then you'll get a notification when a new episode is published, so you don't miss these unexpected ones. You can do that by hitting the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app, or it might be a plus sign, which shows that you want to add it to your library. That's the way to make sure you don't ever miss any of these surprise bonus episodes. Okay, so why am I airing this episode today? Well, today marks 19 years since my mom passed away from breast cancer. And I have dreaded this particular anniversary for a long time because I was 19 years old when my mom died. So starting tomorrow, Every day that passes means that I've lived one day longer without my mom than I lived with her. And that is the craziest, most unfair milestone. And as I get farther and farther away from her in days and years, I long to draw closer to her in other ways, to remember her and to share her and to honor her. As I considered what I could share today... I thought of an essay, a personal narrative, that I wrote about her shortly after she passed away. I started my sophomore year of college about six weeks after my mom died, and within those first few weeks of school, I happened to see an announcement for a writing competition that was happening on my college campus. I went to a religious university, and to enter this competition, you had to write a personal narrative about how your belief in God had changed and strengthened through a difficult experience. And I immediately knew I wanted to write for this competition. I was carrying around so much grief about my mom's very recent passing, and I didn't know how to process it. I've never been a crier. I feel the pain, but it just doesn't come out in tears. And something in my soul told me that if I couldn't cry, I could write instead. That would be my outlet. I remember spending hours in my room at the college house I was renting with my friends, my bedroom door closed and locked, pouring out memories of my mom, first brainstorming big lists of the little things I never wanted to forget about her, and eventually formulating words and sentences that I pulled together into a personal narrative. The narrative describes the experience of writing the talk that I gave at my mother's funeral. And it includes flashbacks of my memories of her, as well as the actual words of the talk that I ended up giving at the memorial service. So I've decided that to acknowledge this 19-year anniversary of her passing, I'm going to read that narrative on the podcast today, written by a grieving 19-year-old who was doing the very best that she could to always remember. I am so incredibly grateful that I took the time to write this essay during that raw and heart-wrenching time in my life. I'm grateful for the writing contest that gave me the push to do it. I had a very full class load that semester. In addition to a part-time job, it would have been really easy for me to decide that I was too busy to do this work of processing my grief. But what a gift I gave myself by taking that time, and what a gift I gave my future self by capturing those memories when they were really fresh. 
revisiting this essay in order to record it for all of you has brought me a lot of peace as I face this big milestone. It's helped me to recognize how much of my mom is still very much with me in everything I do for my own children and honestly for this community of mothers. My mom is at the heart of the work that I do with 3 and 30. And so I am grateful and honored to have the opportunity to share her with you today. And I just want to thank you for giving me a place to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and read the essay, which I originally titled Bliss Complete. It does have a lot of flashbacks, which are easier to follow when you read it because I notated those in italics but I tried to make it as easy to follow as I could here in an audio format. And then after I read the essay, I'm also going to play a recording of my sisters and me singing a hymn called Love at Home, which we actually sang at my mom's funeral. So I wanted to recreate that here. Thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you know how much I care about you and your challenges. I really, truly care. I'm thinking of you today as I think of my mom today. So here's my essay, Bliss Complete. Dad kept the sprinklers running all week to try to keep the roses alive. Scattered across the front lawn, the flowers welcomed mourners to our home and reminded them of her vibrant gift for living. But the reds, pinks, and yellows faded in the record-breaking heat of that week in July, and the roses died. I stepped out the front door, a stack of journals and my laptop computer in my arms. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay where I could hear so many conversations going on at once. Funeral preparations, long-distance phone calls, and friends bringing condolences. I wanted to stay where the chaos around me matched the chaos inside my brain. But I had to get out. It was the only way. My foot crunched a dried-up rose as I walked towards the neighbor's house, watching waves of heat rise from the asphalt of the cul-de-sac. The Cowans had called and offered their home as soon as they'd heard the news, in case we needed some solitude or a place for relatives to stay. At least they have an air conditioner that works, I reassured myself as I punched in their garage code. Our air conditioner had died Monday morning. Everything died on us that week. The door leading into the Cowans' empty house squeaked on its unoiled hinges and slammed behind me. I stood alone in the silence, and I didn't move a muscle. So this is it. This is where I'll write the talk that I'm going to give tomorrow at my mother's funeral. Today was the day, and I had no other choice. Not if I really wanted to go through with giving this talk. And I was going to go through with it. I had told her that I would. I told her Monday morning, my arms wrapped around her swollen belly, as I lay beside her in her bed. Mama? Hmm. I took a deep breath, wondering how I could speak the words. I know what I'm going to talk about at your funeral. She was quiet for a moment. What are you going to talk about, Rach? I thought of it yesterday while Sari, Laura, and I were singing at church. I was looking at you in the congregation, and all of a sudden, I understood what the words of love at home mean, what they really mean. I swallowed. Making life a bliss complete when there's love at home. That's it. That's what I'm going to talk about. She waited for me to continue. I mean, because the song doesn't say making life a bliss long, it says making life a bliss complete. And that's you, Mama. You've made my life so blissful because of the love you've brought into our home. And even though your life hasn't been a bliss long, it's definitely been a bliss complete. She was crying. I hugged her a little tighter. I'm going to tell everyone about your bedtime stories and our late night talks in my room, 
the stars you decorated our bedroom doors with before our plays, and the Harry Potter party you threw me, and how we talked on the phone almost every day last year when I was at college. She found my hand and squeezed it. Rachel, all I ever wanted was love in our home. And yesterday, looking at you three girls up there singing, I realized that I got it. I got everything I ever wanted. A few hours later, I called 911 because my mom had lost consciousness. I lay beside her on the floor and sang Love at Home while my dad and sisters rushed home from work. Just as she had wanted, the five of us were together when she slipped away. We were circled around her bed in the emergency room, hands tightly clasped. Then God took her from our family circle, and she left us alone. Yes, I would go through with this talk. Settled in an armchair in the Cowan's living room, I stared at the blank computer screen in front of me, blank like my stunned heart. I started typing. My sisters and I had the opportunity to sing an arrangement of Love at Home, one of our favorite hymns, to our church congregation this past Sunday. My mom was so grateful that she was well enough to be there to hear her girls sing. Grateful is an understatement. Her tears didn't stop for the rest of the meeting. As the three of us sang the familiar words, one of the lines of the hymn that I had never really noticed before suddenly took on new meaning to me. Making life a bliss complete when there's love at home. Although I never expected that she would pass away the next day, another understatement, I knew that I didn't have much time left with my mom. But in that moment, as my eyes settled on her face among all the faces in the congregation, I realized that my life has truly been a bliss complete because of the love that my mother brought to our home each and every day of her life. I stopped typing. I stared into the air around me, the enormity of the task ahead suddenly taking hold of my lungs. I couldn't breathe. How could I possibly capture this woman in words? Her life, her goodness, her love. I prayed for the words. I prayed that I would be able to breathe again. The cursor at the end of my thought blinked at me for several minutes before I could continue. And then I did the only thing I could think to do, start with what I already had, what I had told my mom I would talk about that morning in her bed. I began, my fingers shaking as I typed. When I think of love at home, I think of bedtime stories, which were so important to us as little girls. Mom even recorded them on cassette tapes so that we could listen to them while she was in the hospital for two and a half months during her bone marrow transplant. Mommy, why do you have to go away? Snuggled up to my mom's warm side, legs under her gray bedspread, my sisters and I watched as she struggled with daddy's tape recorder from work. I have to go away because I'm sick, Rach. That's why you don't have hair, Sarah piped in from her other side. Yes, sweetheart, she pulled us in closer. But you'll only have to listen to bedtime stories on tape for a little while. Mommy's coming home. And when I come home, I will be better and I will read you all the books you want. Really? Our eyes were wide. Really, she promised. The cursor blinked at me again as I remembered that night 13 years earlier. Mommy had come home. She never stopped fighting for the chance to raise her girls. I leaned my head back and stared at the white ceiling fan above me, picturing her through all the stages of my life. As I had first known her, a mother of three very young children, full of energy and health as she helped us with crafts on the back porch picnic table. Then as a mother of three elementary schoolers, her flowered baseball cap barely covering her bald head at the school-sponsored Mother's Day tea. As I'd known her later in life, a mother of three teenage girls, kneeling in a circle with her family and praying for the Holy Spirit to dwell in our home. Finally, as a mother of three young women, frail and tired in those last few weeks of her life, 
laughing with my aunts as they quilted baby blankets for the grandchildren she would never know. My eyes focused on the ceiling fan above me, spinning, 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 like the pictures in my head. I couldn't differentiate between when she had been sick and when she had not. Throughout the years, the cancer had come and gone, come and gone, but it all mixed together because through it all, she had remained the same. I looked down from the fan and began typing again. My heart knew the next part. When I think of love at home, I think of the creak of my mom's bedroom door. My mom could never sleep until she knew that each of her girls was home safe and happy, and as a teenager, I looked forward to the sound of the creak of her door when she heard me come in for the night. She would come into my room and ask how my evening had been, and we would often end up sitting up on my bed talking for hours. Mama, I just kissed Adam. Mama, my friends were drunk again. What is happening? Mama, how will I know where I'm supposed to go to college? And in the last few months, Mama, it's okay if you aren't excited to die. I know that it's not because you're afraid. It's because your family is heaven enough for you, and I think God wants it to be that way. Mama, I've decided I'm going to write a book about you. Then my kids will know what their grandma was like. Lines from those late-night conversations echoed in my mind as I stopped typing on my laptop. Her laughter, her wisdom, her advice, it was all etched so deeply within me that I knew I would never forget. Some things were fading already. The memory of her voice singing Edelweiss at bedtime, the sound of the oxygen cord dragging behind her on the wood floor, the smell on her bathrobe. So many things were slipping away, but those late-night conversations, never. I had to add, truly, my fondest memory of my mom is our long talks so often very late at night. And then with a smile, I added, I like to joke with my mom that the creak of her door was not always a welcome sound. When I was late for curfew or trying to sneak out for some toilet papering with my middle school friends, I'd cringe and try to run and hide when I heard that creak. But that was the type of mother my mom was, always concerned for, aware of, and much, much smarter than her children. I took in a deep breath and held it for a moment with my eyes closed. How could I capture all of this? How could I even try? I opened my eyes with a sigh, letting them wander anywhere but to the computer screen. I picked up a journal from the stack beside the chair and allowed myself to forget the unfinished talk in front of me for a few minutes as I flipped through the pages, losing myself in all the years that had passed. An email from my first love, a candy bar note from mom, special cards from granny and grampy. A construction paper ghost fluttered out of the open notebook and landed on the beige carpet beside my chair. It smiled up at me and I smiled back. I had almost forgotten about that ghost. The memory strengthened me, and I faced my computer again. When I think of love at home, I think of doors decorated with stars before shows and big auditions. I'll never forget coming out to my car to drive to my all-state choir audition my junior year of high school and finding the interior covered with encouraging notes from my mom. My audition was the day before Halloween, and the note stuck to my steering wheel was a construction paper ghost saying, You'll sing bootifully. My mom's sense of humor always eased my nerves and lessened my self-doubts. Another stopping place. Heavenly Father, please help me, I prayed. I can't do this alone. I wanted to say more. I wanted to describe my grief over losing my best friend, my discouragement at the daunting task before me, my anger that he'd taken my mother away. But I was just too weary. She had told us of her own desperate prayers as we sat on the back porch in a family circle Sunday evening. 
Every day I plead with the Lord, dear father, let me live. Let me live to raise my girls. The spirit always testified to me that God would answer that prayer. And now here you are, 16, 19, and 21. Is that raised? I don't know. But I look at the three of you and I'm so proud of the women you have become. I am so proud to be your mother. With that memory, I started writing again. When I think of love at home, I think of the times my mom was hard on us girls. My mother was so wise with her advice, her punishments, and her approach to parenting. I'll never forget the time she made me take a taxi to school because she was tired of bailing me out when I missed the bus. Or one night when we had a bunch of obnoxious friends over being rowdy at 3 a.m. and we heard her voice thundering down the stairs, If you don't live here, go home. If you do live here, go to bed. I paused my typing to chuckle as I remember the looks on my friends' faces. They cleared out of our house in a hurry. My mom was endlessly patient, but she also knew where to draw the line. A perfect combination. She showed us she loved us by being hard on us once in a while. And times weren't always perfect. There were many times when I'm sure we drove her crazy, hurt her feelings, and made her worry. My older sister had some unusually rough years in high school. I paused and remembered, waking up in the middle of the night to them yelling at each other, wondering if there would ever be peace in my home again. Did that really happen? It seemed so long ago, so hard to remember. Sarah was a different person now, and Mom had erased those nights from her memory. To Mom, they never happened. I typed again, and when my sisters asked how she made it through, she has to reply, because my mom just kept loving me. When I think of love at home, I think of the many times that my mom never gave up on her girls. When I think of love at home, I think of the way my mom opened her home and her heart to our friends. My mom loved teenagers. She worked extensively in the young women's program at our church. She always seemed to be able to see into teenagers' hearts. Recently, one of my closest friends told me that the thing she most admired about my mom was that she knew that no matter what, no matter how much trouble she was getting into on the weekends, she was always welcome in our home. She had some very rebellious years, but often came to our home for love and refuge. She knew that my mom could see past her clothes and her unwise decisions into her heart. My mom took in kids from all walks of life, and they felt her love within our home. I smiled as I thought about Meg, who was flying in from Tennessee to be at the memorial service tomorrow. She couldn't miss saying goodbye to her mother, Westover. R.W., the big R.W.? The sound of his voice broke the cold silence of the Cowan's home. I grinned. Only my dad could call me one of his ridiculous nicknames at a time like this. Daddy, I called into the hallway, opening my arms for a hug as soon as he came into view. How's it coming, kid? He rustled my hair as he took a seat on the arm of the chair. I covered my computer screen, not wanting him to read the words that I found so inadequate. Dad, this is hard. How can I ever do her justice? I asked. You can't, Rach. I looked up at him and he continued, but you can try. I hugged him around the waist, resting my head on his chest, and there was silence. She was really something, Rachel. And you know what? You're really something, too. I smiled without looking up, snuggling a little closer to him and breathing him in. After a few minutes, he kissed me on the head. Well, girlfriend, I'll leave you to it. He paused before leaving the room. Just remember, you're R.W., the awesome R.W., and he was gone. The unfinished document before me blurred as tears filled my eyes for the first time in days. 
I cried as I thought of the way he looked last night at dinner. Aunts, cousins, friends talking a mile a minute all around him. He didn't notice. He just stared at his plate. I cried as I thought of the weekend they told us, in a hotel room at La Quinta in Orem, Utah. They'd driven all the way from Colorado to talk as a family. We knew what that meant. We'd heard the words so many times before. Girls, your mom is sick again. But this time, they weren't telling us that Mama was sick. This time, they were telling us that Mama was dying. I cried as I remembered the first time I saw her after the fateful news, in another hotel room in Moab, Utah. I typed as I cried. When I think of love at home, I think of the way my mom kept fighting through her illness, never complaining or letting the cancer get the better of her, just so she could be with her family. This past March, two days after her brain surgery, she insisted that she and my dad drive out to Moab, Utah to watch me run my first half marathon race. Rachel, I'm coming to your half marathon. Mama, please don't worry about it. It's two days after your surgery. Trust me, Mama, I understand if you can't be there. Oh, I know you understand, but I want to be there. I'm going to be there when my baby crosses the finish line after running 13 miles. Woo! She let out a cheer on the other end of the phone line. And she made it all right. I laughed through my tears as I remember the way she marched into our hotel room the night before my race with a homemade sign in each hand, one for me and one for my friend who was running with me, humming her own triumphant parade music. I continue typing. When I crossed the finish line, there was my mom, with scars on her forehead but a huge smile on her face. She was the first person to run over and give me a hug. I need water. Only the sound of my feet on the kitchen floor and the opening of cupboards as I searched for a cup broke the stillness. I stood beside the deep rock water dispenser, staring out the sliding glass door while I sipped. The neighbor kids were jumping on their trampoline. My mind was so blurry. How could the neighbor kids be jumping on their trampoline when my mom was dead? The world around me moved on, but I stood frozen. She's not gone. She can't be. I remembered the moment I'd buried my face in the scratchy cushions of the emergency room couch and told myself to wake up. I told myself over and over, squeezing my eyes so tightly that the blackness started to burn. But I opened my eyes to the nightmare. I was not dreaming. There was the doctor. There was my dad, staring vacantly at the clipboard in front of him. There was my mom, white like porcelain and still. So still. I had to move. I strode back to my computer and began typing rapidly. There was another celebration I had to mention, something else my mom would never have been willing to miss. When I think of love at home, I remember when I came home from college in May and she helped me throw a Harry Potter birthday party and put all of her limited energy into making my party a success. On the evening of the big occasion, she had glowed with an excitement that I hadn't seen in her for months. As each of the guests walked in, she slid her glasses down to the tip of her nose, put her hand on her hip in what she considered an intimidating pose, and declared, Look, I'm McGunnel. Mother, it's McGonagall. Oh, right. I'm McGonagall. The words kept coming, flowing faster than my fingers could type. The evening was a total blast, complete with elaborate costumes, decorations, food, and games. The night meant so much to me, and for my mom's birthday in June, I framed our family photo from that occasion, all five of us in full-out character and costume, in classic Westover fashion. We got that dramatic flair from our mom, by the way. The note. Where was that note? I grabbed my journal from the floor, quickly flipping the colored pages. 
I knew it was in there somewhere. I'd copied it before I'd given it to her. Aha! There it was, on my Hogwarts stationery, the note that had made her cry when I gave it to her at the pancake house during her birthday brunch. I read the words. It was so personal. Too personal? No, I wanted to share this. I wanted to share what my mom had given me with all the friends and family who were gathering to celebrate her life. So I continued typing. With a frame, I wrote my mom a note that I'd like to read to you today because I feel it captures so many of the gifts that my mother has given me over the years. I held the letter in one hand, squinting at the faint Xerox words and typed with the other. Mama, I picked this photo and frame out special because to me it captures so much more than just a great picture of a great night. When I look at this picture, I see years and years of family fun, theme parties, vacations, laughter and love in everyday life. Let's face it, our family has fun together. I think the love and happiness we have in our home is unusual, and it's the blessing for which I am the most thankful. When I look at this picture, I see the years that were a gift from God, the 13 years that we weren't supposed to have. I feel so blessed for those years. What would we have done without you? We certainly wouldn't be the family we are today. I certainly wouldn't be the woman I am today. And finally, when I look at this picture, I see the greatest gift and legacy you've given your girls. The ability to keep our chin up and keep having fun and bringing joy to others, even when things are rotten. I see the countless times you did something a little extra for our family to make our sometimes bleak lives magical. And it really has been magical, hasn't it? Thank you for showing me how to enjoy to the end. I know things in our lives are only going to get tougher from here, but I framed this picture for myself too. And when life is hard, I hope we'll both look at this picture and remember our blessings and remember that life is and always can be magical. That's the greatest lesson you've taught me. Happy birthday, Mama. I love you. Rachel. Sleep. I have to sleep. I staggered over to the couch and put my face in one of the fluffy cushions. Blackness, like the total blackness of the night that she died. I'd prayed so fervently that night as I lay in bed between my sleeping sisters, staring into the darkness of the room. Please, Heavenly Father, show me heaven. Show me where my mom is, just for one second. One second is all I'm asking, and then I can believe. But he didn't show me heaven, and as I lay there in the darkness, I wondered if that was all that came after this life. Blackness. What if everything I've always believed is a lie? The morning light renewed my faith, but the blackness of night brought nightmares about those terrifying moments before I called 911. The blackness at night haunted my faith in a world beyond my own. Yet with my face pressed into the pillow on the Cowan's couch, my blurred mind felt heavy with all the thoughts and memories. As I had so many times that summer, I endured the darkness, blocked out reality, and went to sleep. When I awoke, the living room clock showed 6.04 p.m. I groaned and rolled over to face into the navy blue couch. I was awake again, and she was still dead. And I still had not seen heaven and I still had a talk to finish. I knew what had to be written next, and I needed one of her hugs to give me courage. There had been so many hugs at the end, when she was no longer strong enough to stand by herself. The lucky person who stood in front of her and lifted her up from her chair got an automatic hug as she steadied herself on her weak feet. I need a hug, Mama. My request went unanswered in the silence of the Cowan's living room. 
I settled in front of my computer and started again. When I think of love at home, I will always think of those last few months of my mother's life when there were so many hugs, so many evenings working on scrapbooks as a family, so many nights falling asleep with my arms around her, and so many I love yous. The Holy Spirit in our home was stronger than it had ever been before because of the growing intensity of my mom's love for us. And now for the hardest part. I had the great privilege of spending the day with my mom on Monday. It was such a special day as we laughed and talked and just sat together. We read a chapter from the scriptures and then I shared my favorite verses with her. As I flipped through the scriptures, my eyes landed on a verse about death that I had never really noticed before, and it hit me with such force that I almost cried. I wanted to share it with my mother, but I never got the chance before she needed to be rushed to the emergency room where she passed away. Later that night, after we returned home from the hospital, I sat on the front steps of my home and took in the stillness. A cool wind was blowing, and someone had scattered roses up our front steps and across our lawn. I got out my Book of Mormon and read the verse aloud to my mom. And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer. For I know that in him I shall rest, and I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality, and shall stand before him. Then shall I see his face with pleasure, and he will say unto me, Come unto me, ye blessed. There is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my Father. Amen. In the quiet that followed, I felt sure that somewhere, somehow, my mom had heard my words. And not only had she heard them, she had experienced them for herself. In the dark moments that have followed this past week, those lonely times in the middle of the night when I've wakened and wondered if everything that I've ever believed is a lie, I've held on to that moment on the front steps of my home, that moment of complete peace and assurance that there is something wonderful beyond this life and that my mom is a part of it. I exhaled. In the stillness of the Cowan's home, I felt the same assurance I'd felt in that moment on the front steps. Something inside reaffirmed that the words I had just typed were true. The blackness is not everything. God had not taken my mom from our family circle in the emergency room. Our family is eternal. I've always known it. She taught me from the time I was a three-year-old kneeling beside her and learning to pray. She taught me every day of her life, even in the last afternoon we spent together. I've always known that my family's forever. But as I lived the nightmare, as I faced those dark moments in the middle of the night, I finally understood what that really means. My closing words came without deliberation, came from the most honest place in my heart. I thank her for everything she was and everything that she gave me. I thank her for making my life a bliss complete because of the love she brought to our home. And as another line in the hymn says, I know that heaven smiles above when there's love at home. That we may always live with the kind of love in our home that would be worthy for my mom to smile down on us is my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I closed my eyes and put my head in my hands. The air came in and out of my lungs so easily. I don't know how much time passed before I switched off my computer, stacked my journals, and walked to the front door. Outside the front window, I could see Brother Mosier and his family pulling weeds from our rocks and trimming the edges of our grass, preparing our home for the open house the next day. But no one touched the roses. The heat swallowed me as I stepped from the silence into the busyness of the evening. 
I waved at the Mosiers, followed the roses up the front lawn, and went back into my home. My family was waiting for me.
Well